Hi guys, Paul from the Innovation Community here. Today I'm with Paul Chapman, who is the Global Director of Performance Management, Business Intelligence and Innovation at JOL. So uh, a finance leader initially, Paul now heads up the Global Data Transformation Team at JOL, um, which is one of the biggest real estate companies in the world. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I gave you a bit of an intro there. Tell us a bit about yourself in, in your own words. Yeah, so been with JOL for four years now. And as you said, I, I lead up our performance management BI and innovation stream. I've uh, been doing that role now for about eight months. And I'm sure we'll get into how that's changed during the, the time of the call. But um, outside of that, I'm a, a father of one who's very, she's six year old going on 16, very data driven, uses Tableau in her homework most uh, weeks, which is very exciting for me being a, a data geek in that realm. Um, and uh, yeah, also do a lot of work with Tableau software. So I've been an ambassador for Tableau for the work I do in the community for the last six years. And fortunately enough, this year I was named on the Data IQ 100 Most Influential People in Data, which was a very proud moment for me. But really, I think it was a reflection of the team's performance. And where did your career working in data start? Interestingly enough, it started probably about eight, nine years ago um, when I was an accountant. So I, I'm a qualified accountant by trade. That's my background. I was working at EasyJet, so uh, low-cost um, airline based out of Europe. Uh, accountant, we did, uh, our BI tool was Excel, as you can imagine most organizations were. And I was initially trying to build a tree map of all things, trying to find a plugin, because I'd seen a tree map on a BBC News article. I thought, oh, it's a good way of trying to show different metrics in, in a single view as opposed to the pie chart with about 50 different uh, segments that we'd done up until that point so yeah that was uh, that was when uh, i tried googling tree maps and the, the bi initials came up i googled bi and discovered business intelligence and the rest is history so how has that role evolved throughout the nine years so uh, Interestingly enough, at the start, it was a steep learning curve about understanding, well, what BI can do to impact an organization and improve it and how seeing and understanding your data can really drive performance across the business. So initially, it was really about setting up at that time, our center of excellence, our BI center of excellence, EasyJet, building a small team, getting the business to invest and understand why we need those tools and why Excel is not the answer. And then as I moved into my current role with or my uh, first role with JOL is really there understanding how we can leverage the return on investment of data analytics and specifically around when we're building dashboards so you know helping the business to not just ask for pretty dashboards which is a common occurrence but really extracting the value and understanding how we can do that through bringing in standards best practices and really understanding the business need for data as opposed to what somebody thought they wanted designed in a dashboard. That, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So what are you up to in the current role then? So the, the work that I did on my previous uh, team, we, we had a team of 30 in my last role, but we were specific to uh, a business line within JOL. And what the business had understood was that there was an opportunity to try and replicate what we did. So we had pockets of excellence around the business doing BI, but it was in an uncoordinated way. Mm. So we did a lot of work over the last two years looking at transforming our organization and the parts I was involved in was around BI data and analytics. And what we said was, well, let's look at setting up a globalized organization with really four key objectives. One of improving our margin um, through better use of data. So we know 
that if we use data properly, we should be able to reduce our cost, increase our productivity and drive revenue, right? That should be a no brainer. Build out a centralized team. So actually bring all of these analysts and data engineers that are doing things in silos into my central organization, which allows us to then bring in standards, best practices, and ensure that everyone gets the training and the, the level playing field that, uh, that we, we strive to have. Um, and by also then bringing in and understanding the great uses of data that are out across our different business lines and understanding how we can transpose those from one to the other, rather than 10 different people and 10 different business lines trying to do the same thing and building 80% of the same answer. Um, so how we can improve efficiencies. We've also brought in some standards and best practices. So really working hard on what that looks like from what should a dashboard be? What's our color palette? How do we design thinking about the end user? And then how do we ensure it's fit for accessibility purposes as well? And then the final part is really about now we've got this community together. How do we work on helping the team with their career path, their development? You know, what's their skill level you know what's their self-assessment would they be a three out of ten or an eight out of ten and where do they want to be and how do we get them to that point by providing training certification sending them to conferences albeit virtual at the moment and helping them to understand the career opportunities within jll so they can look at moving from one business line to another and you definitely come across as someone who's super passionate about working in the space what what's really interested you at the heart of it so I really think it's about how you can make a difference and how you can see that with the business, right? So uh, historically, businesses are very much a gut decision feel, right? You'll have leaders that are very experienced, move their way up the, the ranks, and everything they do is based on gut feel. Well, with data, we can either support that hypothesis of that gut feel, or we can challenge it and challenge it in a in a clear and constructive way and if we do challenge then we can find alternative options and through data analytics i think it's just such a a broad spectrum that it's it's the new service line that i think touches every area of the business so historically you'd have had finance you'd have had hr that every area of the business needed and they would have had pockets of data and analytics or however they call it whereas now every area of the business is touching it and going forward that data is just going to increase you know the amount of data that we're consuming we we hear these things about you know all the data in the world so far um is going to double over the next six months or whatever that might be and where we're in corporate real estate we're in an exciting space where we're using things like smart buildings iot sensors so again we're going to see a real acceleration in that so it's for me it's a really exciting place to be and, and also a big part of your role is actually building this internal community of, of data analytics leaders, whether that be the more yeah. technical personnel or, or the business leaders as well. A big question that comes through the innovation community is how can organizations build it and also sustain that momentum when it comes to the, the data community? So it, you need to have a clear strategy at the start, right? So we've always had, and, and in my previous role, I brought that in as well, was really trying to have a plan on the page, right? So before you try talking about your culture and you try talking about the processes, you need to step back and actually understand, well, what is our vision? And, you know, we have six points. Of that. So we have a vision, um, our ambition, our cause, our values, our strategic objectives, and then our key priorities. So our vision is very clearly to see and help people understand their data that we absolutely plagiarize from Tableau software, but 
you know, the reason we did that was we could have sat in a room for hours trying to come up with a better strap line and we couldn't, right? The, the thing I find in our industry is people often, you know, family and friends will say to me, you know, what do you do? You're a bit like the Chandler Bing really understands what you do. Whereas if I say to people, I work in business intelligence, they're like, I, I don't really get that. But if I say I'm trying to help people see and understand their data, that really helps to articulate what we do. And then we have a, an ambition to be the smartest when it comes to data, insights and technology. So the team should be able to articulate that. And then that helps us to start to put in place the building blocks that we need. Then we have a set of values that really are all about customer focus, innovation, um, integrity, and having a challenger spirit between the team. And that's the starting point that we have. From that, we can then look at, well, what's our global structure that we need to run the business? What's our, um, our horizontal community of excellence structure that we need to put across all of that from a standards, best practices point of view? And then it's really about identifying our internal talent that can move on to bigger roles and also attracting and bringing external talent which I think we've done a really good job of in the last six months. Maybe not as diverse as I would like it to be and as it should be, but we've started that process at least. And previously you mentioned that uh, gamification can be used to actually help engage the wider organization with data. Can yep. you touch on that? Yep. So uh, I have a, a strategy director called Fee Golden. She's based out of Australia and she's been fantastic in building out a gamification process to help with both the training and development of people's skills. So she has two core programs that she's developed uh, around Tableau and Alteryx. So they're, they're two of our primary tools that our analysts use. So she has a program called the Tableau Quest and a program called the Alteryx Adventure, which is all about taking someone from rookie to rock star. So people have various skills and various abilities on that journey as to where they are. But if you're day one, in the business or day one with a new tool, it will allow you to understand here are some activities that you need to complete, be it go to a user group, build your first dashboard, um, you know, uh, create a workflow, uh, get certified in a product. And as you go through those, you're moving up the ranks as you're going from, you know, rookie to rock star. And we also have a dashboard that we actually have put on Tableau Public for people to see and consume to get ideas of how to do it. So people can see where they rank. They also get badges set out to them. You know, we all have badges on the back of our laptops and things like that. So it actually helps people to really get that competitive spirit, seeing where they are in the leaderboard and the rankings, and then really try and drive forward. Uh, we've combined that with our internal collaboration tool. So we use Microsoft Teams. So we have uh, a large team site for our wider organization. Plus then we have some specialist ones for things like the Alteryx Adventure as people get um, get their achievements. We'll use praise function to give a shout out to people. And then there'll be a whole raft of gifts that people post to say congratulations and well done. And people there can ask questions and also use that challenger spirit to, you know, if they feel that there's something that needs clarification or, or you know, they're not quite sure someone's done right, we can use in that, um, in that way. And that, that's been really, really successful. And it, it sounds it as well. What are some of the other major successes that you've achieved over your career? So I, I like to think some of the successes are where we've been more wider recognized outside of what we do within JRL. So in the last few years, you know, we've started looking at partnering with external organizations. We often get asked to speak and present at conferences. So sharing our story and our experiences 
uh, as a team, we've been keynote at various um, events. So that for me says that the external view is that we're doing something right because they want us to share and, and, and be involved in that. So I see that as a, as a success. The fact that I uh, say we got, or, you know, I got the, the data IQ 100 list this year, which is for me a reflection of the team. We also within the data IQ awards were shortlisted for team of the year. Um, and we actually won a dashboard and data story of the year for a KPI dashboard that we built. Now KPIs don't sound the most sexy or adventurous, of topics but actually probably every single one of your listeners and every business has to work with kpis so we we build out um, a, an innovative way of sharing and showing how that can be done and again we've actually put that on our tableau public profile that people can go in have a look at understand what we've done and if they want to be able to download it they can reach out to us we can understand their use case and we've got some sanitized data on this so people can can do that so i think the for me the external uh, accreditation that we get is probably the the most satisfying part and i know this is kind of a uh it's not about the 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 technology side of things per se but what effects do you think the technology will have on the data space over the next few years well we're already seeing some of that right so at the moment you've got a number of tools and products be it if you look at the the Gartner um, magic quadrants, right? You've got the Tableaus and the Microsofts up at the, the top end, but you're starting to see some niche players starting to come through. And some of those are specializing in um, conversational analytics, augmented analytics, for example. So we're already seeing people consume their data in a different way. So we've got some internal pilots with conversational data, whereas historically you'd have built a dashboard for, uh, for a customer that would have answered their questions, whereas that person can now go and type in, can you tell me how many um, events I've had globally? And uh, a number will pop up. Can you show me that by region? That will transform into a map, right? So that's gonna change the way people consume. And as time goes on, you're gonna get more of things like Alexa and Siri opportunities to do that with conversational. And then augmented analytics, as the system starts to get smarter and start to use graph um, analytic uh, theory of, understanding your unknown unknowns, bringing all of your data together to be able to try and really review and understand what's going on there. What you're going to see is that the system is going to do an awful lot of that. So today you need a lot of human interpretation as you look through your analytical journey, as you kind of move through descriptive discovery, diagnostic, um, predictive and then prescriptive. As you start to get into that predictive and prescriptive phase, the system can take over a lot more and, and the required to get you to a decision and some action is reduced a lot down and as the systems get smarter over the next three years we're going to see things moving that way so i think if, if you looked at a, an analyst today and, and you drew a hundred percent bar chart of their time you're probably seeing 70 to 80 percent of their time is in prep maybe 20 25 percent is in them building out um, uh, a view and then maybe five percent is on that insight and storytelling and, and the aha moment was i think we're going to see a lot of that switch and you're going to end up with 80 percent of their time looking at the data providing the insight and telling that story yeah and i think i agree as well i think a lot of um the the, the achievements you've accomplished you you actually accredit that not exclusively to yourself but but to the team as well how do you engage and communicate with with your team members so our, our team has a i've a clear senior team so i have global leaders um in each region so an emir an apac uh, and a america's lead uh, i've already mentioned fee so she runs our, our strategy 
And, you know, back in February, I was employee number one in the org, right? There, there was just the, the one of me. And then as we've been bringing these teams together into our central org, I think we're at about 110 heads now um, globally. So we, uh, we use Microsoft Teams as our primary, primary tool of collaboration. And interestingly enough, when we set up our communication as a senior team, we came together and probably spent 20 plus hours as a group working out what our team site should look like, which sounds ridiculous, but actually you have one chance to set up your collaboration processes correctly the first time, because if you try and then reverse engineer afterwards, you really, you really struggle to break it down from general communication, um, our autoics adventures, innovation, regional areas and, and opportunities. And, and the team have the freedom and the opportunity to just come and ask questions. So if somebody says, I've been asked to build a dashboard in this area. Does anyone have a template? Has anyone done this before? Whereas historically they would have just gone and built that. The team then comes together and helps them with that. Or if somebody says, uh, I'm thinking about going and watching this user group. Does anyone want to come and join us? And we actually had the whole team watch uh, the Atlanta Tableau user group, which was a two hour session. And there's all communication going on live in real time about what's, uh, what's going on in that space. And the other thing that, that worked really well from that collaboration and communication point was at the Tableau conference, which took place a few weeks ago virtually, was that the team all signed up um, to, to going along. The, uh, the conference itself had a selfie booth like you might have at most conferences. We said to the team, well, if you get a selfie, we partnered with a digital um, uh, badge um, provider, Creedly, and um, we had a badge there. So if you, if you got a selfie done, um, we would then provide you with this digital badge that, that people could then have and they put it on LinkedIn and Twitter and that would drive other questions and then we also use that principle externally where we said to people you know if, if you're interested in, in coming and working with JOL we've got a, a, a hashtag of H, uh, hashtag JOL data fam if people are interested in doing that and there's a badge for that they can just fill in a small survey um, share some details with us and then they can get that as well so that, that's worked really well for both internally and externally as well to help us plug the gaps of where we've needed to bring in some some leadership and some analysts, uh, bring in the, the very best external talent that's available to us. And I, I, don't, I haven't heard of any other company who's really taking that approach. It sounds really innovative, which is, which is great. On a more, uh, let's say, one-to-one -one approach, how would you describe your own leadership style? Um, so I think uh, I'm quite modest on that. So I'd say you, know, you should probably ask my senior team and they'll tell you, but I, I'm very collaborative, right? I'm, I'm not autocratic. I'm not, um, I'm certainly not dictatorial. I like to bounce ideas off the team. Um, I like to take everyone's opinion and, and use the team as a sounding board. We have a, a team meeting every Thursday where we have a, a variety of agenda points. And if there are some key issues going on, we'll discuss those. We have our own leadership team site as well. Um, and because we have this challenging mentality, actually the team will challenge me a lot on ideas and suggestions that I put up or really probe and, and press to make sure that um, that I am uh, doing that. The, the other thing that I try and do is I, I make sure I have one-to-ones with every single person in the team, right? So when we're bringing in these new teams across, as I said, we went from one to about 110 now. Sometimes there are teams of two or three coming in. Sometimes there are big teams of 30. So I, I'll always do an introductory call with the teams to say, you know, this is me, this is my background, this is my vision for what we're doing as a team. This is how we operate. And then I encourage each of the team members to send up a, a set up a 30 minute one-to-one -one so I can 
A, get to know them as an individual a bit more. They can ask me some questions because there's often a lot of communication I give them and then, you know, they want to, some people are more reflective. Um, so that style helps really well. And then I get to, you know, learn about the business, you know, what do you think we do well? What should we stop? You know, what should we continue and learn that somebody's got a degree in data science or somebody's been doing some great stuff in R and Python or, you know, how we can then understand the building blocks of the team and we can be lifting those, those across. So, you know, I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person. I think by nature, I'm always looking for what's next. Um, you know, I, I feel like quite often it's like we've won the, the FA Cup final, but then, you know, we're on to the next match, right? So it's then how we're going to push and develop the team forward. So, yeah, I think that's generally how my style and approach comes across. And on the flip side of that, how do you communicate data strategy with uh, senior leaders who, who might not, who may be more business orientated or, or yeah. don't really have the know-how of the data? Yeah, and we get that a lot. So interestingly enough, as we bring these teams across and we look at centralizing resources, we'll speak to the, the team, uh, the leaders, right, the business unit leaders to say, well, actually, we're going to move your team across. And the first thing they say is, well, why are you going to reduce my headcount and, and bring in what's in it for me? So actually, um, I do like to take the team through and, and the leadership through what and why we're trying to do it right. Why seeing and understanding your data is going to help you to do your job better, right? There's you know, how are we going to improve your margin? Because everyone's got a P&L, right? So if, if I can prove that I'm making a tangible difference, if we can look at not reducing headcount, head but streamlining it, right? That 100% bar chart of what our teams are doing. If they're adding the value and we can build a return on investment into each of our dashboards and, and what we do going forward, we can put in some real data governance and ensure that our data is accurate and timely and um, uh, uh, integral. Then actually we can really uh, help to sell that story and vision to the business. So we, so far I've had no real pushback on any problems with that because everyone understands that, yeah, if I use my data better, um, I should be able to do it. And historically they might be doing that in silos or even in Excel, right? So it's how do we, how do we try and um, bring that across? And I think, you know, my passion does come through when we talk about that. So I, I earn some trust. They understand what I've done previously in my roles as well. They've, they've heard of that success. So that helps as well to buy in. And then when I articulate who the senior team is and, and what those leaders are and what they've been able to deliver, absolutely, we, we generally have no problem with senior leadership buying into us. Sounds like you're doing a lot of uh, really great things at JLL. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement right now? So for us, um, it, it's probably really all about the training and the level setting of the team. So as we're bringing people in, we have people at various different skill levels. So historically, some of these people would have been recruited as analysts. They might have had some, you know, some Tableau skills when they joined, or they might have been within the business and doing some great stuff in, in Excel. Then we give them a Tableau license. We tell them to go and watch some videos and then off they go, right? Which is, which is fine as an approach. But if you then, you know, ask those people to, you know, rate where they're at, you know, they might feel that they're a seven or an eight out of 10 because some of these tools are really easy to pick up and run with fast. And then you start sharing what some of the other teams are doing. People suddenly sink and go, all right, actually, maybe I'm only a three, right? So it's, it's level set with the team and understand where they get to and getting them to really understand what we're trying to do from improving our visualization standards and our best practices. So Fee has, has set up a program in, in partnership with Simon Bowman, who works on one of our accounts. He's a, a Tableau Zen master to help with our, our data visualization skills. So starting from a blank piece of what should all of our data um, visualizations look like right to so take the team through some online training 
and then give them a project at the end. So actually you're going to build a dashboard, here's some data and then do reviews of that. And you know, that it gets down to the point of saying, well, you know, it's, it's all right, but that fonts a 12 and it should be a 14 or actually your dashboard is padded three pixels too far to the left. Right. So that, that level of detail, because we try and have that Apple approach of, it should look as good on the inside as it does on the outside, because then when people are consuming that data, they understand the level of effort that's gone into it. But that's quite a journey to take people on. Some people aren't used to communicating with teams. So, so all of a sudden there's a tidal wave of information and training and opportunities coming to them where people are having to balance that with their day job. So we're just trying to take learnings from that as well. And, you know, how we've done it successfully with some teams how some teams have like found it very overwhelming and how we have to just roll it back a, a bit and just make sure that everyone gets level setted and nobody gets left behind. So everyone has the opportunity for training certification to take part in conferences wherever possible. So yeah, that's probably the, um, the, the areas of improvement and challenge that we have at the moment that we're just trying to, trying to crack. And for yourself as well, what do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? Oh, how many mistakes do I make? Well, I could say where I used to visualize data in 3D pie charts with about 20 segments, thinking that was um, amazing. Uh, but I'd say um, probably looking back, I would say trying to get the business to run before they can walk right. So trying to um, impose tools and, and best practices that I know work elsewhere. But actually, you've got to take people on a journey, right? You can't um like it's like going around the monopoly board right you can't just instantly go to go and collect your 200 uh, pounds you have to go around the board and i think trying to move too fast with bringing in some tools and processes and changing things overnight like moving away from red amber green color schemes right a simple thing like that where most businesses and most dashboards are red amber green because people associate that with traffic lights not realizing that it's not great for people with color blindness and actually there should be better ways of doing it and I think, yeah, in earlier points of my career, I would have just made some quite hard changes and said, we're going to go from this to this. That's it. That's what we're going to do. And actually not really take people on that full journey of understanding the transition, the whys, the hows. So I'm hoping that I've learned some of that. And uh, as we bring changes into play now, try and you know ensure that we don't do it like that. But you know, we don't always get it perfect first time. And there's always a learning curve as well. A big question, yes. obviously, quite prevalent at the moment. How has COVID-19 affected both your own role, but also the wider organization as well? Yeah, well, uh, it's certainly been an interesting and challenging of times, right? So when I started my role in February, COVID was only really affecting a very small part of the, the world, right? I was doing a huge amount of travel, you know, I had offices in the US, got teams in APAC. So would have been traveling about to, to spin up and communicate and socialize the vision of what we're trying to do then building out our master plan of well this should be our global structure for the team and actually how are we going to deliver that and then covid hit right so at that point you have to look at the business and you know all businesses have to understand well what's the impact of covid on our revenues on our margin on our cash flow and you know a lot of organizations like ours have to look at recruitment you know so we we had a, a responsible recruitment policy that says well should we'd be recruiting people in the current climate right with you know people being furloughed etc and if we are can we recruit that talent internally rather than externally so you know there'd be times when you know you may have looked at roles externally and i certainly had done and had people in mind that we just couldn't go and, and approach and do so we had to change that but also it gave us an opportunity to say to the business um 
by centralizing this, we can improve and accelerate what you're trying to do because there's a lot of COVID reporting that had to be put out there. I think um, externally, you know, just through the amount of stuff that gets published out there through the FT or whoever it might be, people understand that data is a real lever to understanding what's happening with COVID now. And I think people understand and use data more than they ever have, even if they're not really what are, you know, data people in their lives. So people are understanding the importance and relevance of not only data, but having accurate data that comes from a single version of the truth, because you can get some disparities and, and issues out there. And actually it's because it's challenged the way that we've done things. I think we've, we've coming through it actually stronger and hitting the ground running faster because we've had to adapt the model that we were going to put in place and make that leaner, but actually make it sharper with the resource that we have got. We've also had to kind of say no to a few things. So our, our, our ambitious plan at the start of the year and our objectives was probably this long. And we've had to just tighten some of that up and say, well, in the current climate, you know, we don't want to be spending as much money on R&D and, and tools and et cetera, et cetera. So how can we narrow some of that down, really concentrate on what's important now? How can we do things internally that we might have gone externally for before? And then really plan for next year in the right place because i think where we have an opportunity and how it's kind of affected our org as well is that um all of our competitors are in the same boat right and, and quite often you'll see a contraction of resource and a contraction of innovation well my view is actually we should be going the other way right if, if you invest in these times when you move out of them the other side you're going to have a head start right you're going to hit the ground running it'll be like a greyhound race where you're the hare already you know, a quarter of the way around the track while the others are just coming out of the traps. And, you know, that's a balance because it's then trying to change the language from reducing cost and reducing spend to what's the value that we can extract from that spend, right? So not just talking about, are we going to spend $10,000 on this, but what is the return we are going to see from investing 10,000 and what are we going to see this year and over the next few? So that's, it's been some challenges, but, you know, I actually see it as an opportunity to, to grow and move fast and, and make us, um, a differentiator in the marketplace in our industry. What's your top working from home tip? Oh, well, I'm not a good person to ask for that because I regularly will have 16 hour days and I can have a 6.30 a.m. call with my team in Australia and my leadership, my direct team meeting finishes at midnight on a Thursday night at my time. So, um, uh, so I try, so what I do do, uh, and I don't, all, I, I sometimes break my own rules, but what I do have is I block out three times in the day, right? Knowing that my team is global and that I could probably work 20 hours a day without any, without batting an eyelid and, and talk to people because of time zones. So I, I block out some time in the morning to do the school row. I block out some time at lunchtime to have lunch with my wife so I can actually talk to her. And then I'll block out time in the evening for doing bed and bath time with my, my little girl. And I, I block those out and actually put them as purple out of office, right, from Outlook. So I started, I'd put them in and then because they were just, you know, free time, people would still block them. So I make sure that they're purple and out of office. Now, I would say probably 80% of the time I get to keep those times blocked out. Um, but, you know, that if somebody does have an urgent need, then I can switch into that so at least that does give me some capacity and time back and it means that i might still be doing a 12 hour or 15 hour day but i feel like i've had some breaks um, i also try and run every day i'm a keen runner anyway but i do try and run every day or go for a walk just to experience some outdoor time and you know i've got a, a smart watch that beeps at me every hour to tell me to stand up and again i just make sure i do that stay hydrated i've got another app that tells me make sure i drink four liters of water every day um 
and try and at night not look at your phone before bed because you've got email, you've got Teams, you've got Skype, you've got everything on there, right? So it's especially where my uh, the majority of my colleagues are in the US, it's very easy that I can be going to bed. It's still the afternoon for them and there's a whole plethora of stuff coming in. You, you just have to try and have that cut off. Now, I'm not, I'm not perfect at it by any means, shape or form, but I do try and have those rules in place. Um, and I say those having three times of the day blocked out, I do find helps to a point. So, you know, at least it gives me some time when I'm kind of not plugged in as such. Makes a lot of sense. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Oh, that's a good question. What's the best piece of advice um, I ever received? So I would actually say it was from um, Alan Duncan, who is a, um, uh, he's a, a research leader at Gartner. And I used to go to the, their conference, well, still go to their conferences, albeit virtual. Um, and he did a presentation once on return on investment, return on investment from your analytics. And I was a firm believer that that just wasn't possible. And I went into his session ready to heckle him and debate with him about, wow, this doesn't work. And how can you do a return investment? How can you measure? And actually, we had a good debate. And, you know, he uh, he uh, he made his argument and he changed my point of view. And, and we sat down afterwards and we went through some principles and processes and looked at some hypotheses of how we could do it. And that really changed my thinking. And at that point, when I was looking at my peers in the data analytics community and, and in the Tableau community in particular, there wasn't really many organizations talking about a return on investment. It was all about dashboards. And when I joined JOL, um, my boss's boss at that point, you know, my intro, he said, um, he said, your team do some great pretty dashboards, right? But so what, right? What, what, what's the point of them? Your team's expensive, right? It was 30 heads, so it's an expensive payroll. So what? And so the ROI was the biggest piece of advice that got me then looking at, well, how do we do that? And how do we take the team on a journey? And how do we build out a whole process of somebody wants a dashboard? What's the value that's going to be? And having our strategic intent of, will it improve compliance, reduce cost, increase productivity or drive revenue? And if it does one of those things, well, how? So the business will say, I, I just, I don't know. Well, let's try and help you get to that point, right? So if, is this going to improve a member of your team's efficiency, it's going to reduce their time by an hour a week. Yes, it is. All right. How many of those people do we have in that role? Well, we've got a hundred people. What's their average salary? It's this. So therefore you can start to quantify it. And then um, having a business partnering function that can come in afterwards and do the measurement really makes that difference. So that's how we've been able to do an ROI. And, you know, I've presented in the past how in five years we did, a, we developed and delivered $48 million worth of quantified benefit through that. So that was probably the single biggest piece of advice that I took that I've really made a difference to me and that we're still actively trying to preach and work on today. What are you curious about right now? Ah, uh, so what am I curious about now? So I am, I am an absolute technology geek, right? Be it external, internal, work-wise, personal life. Um, I'm an early adopter, so I'm one of these people that will pay a thousand pounds for a brand new piece of tech that in six months will cost you a tenner. But I love to be an early adopter. Um, and I love to see how we can blend data analytics with technology and future technology. So last year, I wrote a, a paper internally of like our five-year technology roadmap of where things are going to go. And that included things like wearable technologies, right? So, you know, we, we work in corporate real estate. So we we have facility managers that have to go around, change bulbs, work at heights, et cetera. So, you know, we was 
envisaging kit like um, Sigourney Weaver wears in Aliens, where she's got an exoskeleton on. But actually, you know, how a, how a 15 stone person can then lift 50 stones worth of weight if need be, right? Or they can reach at heights and be, be safer. Um, but the one area that we've really been trying to explore uh, of late, and with COVID, we've kind of had to park it a bit, but we're, we're coming back into it next year, is, is looking at virtual reality and augmented reality and how we can combine data with those technologies. So we've been doing some work with Oculus, that are Facebook's virtual reality um, arm. So, you know, last year I was lucky enough to go out to San Francisco and spend some time with them and looking at how we can try and get people to see and understand their data in a different way, not just in a, in a two-dimensional bar chart, but actually see their data. So an example of that is, you know, standing outside of a building and looking at all of the floors there and then actually one floor being coloured, right? I'll say red, we wouldn't use red, amber, green, but, but for, for, for the purpose of this, say, well, that floor is red. So how do we, we can then jump onto that floor and using BIM modelling, you know, being able to walk around the building, looking as if you're in there and understanding, well, here's, here's something that's red. Well, this is an area that's always coming up as too hot, right? So often our most used tickets are when people say they're too hot or they're too cold, right? And you get the engineer come in and turn the thermostat down, then you'll get another tip one coming in saying can you turn it up because two people sitting in a various area so actually if people in this area like it to be 18 degrees then how do we recommend people sitting over here who want it at 18 go and sit there so trying to visualize things that way and the same with augmented reality you know your, your smartphones now have such good ar chips in them that how you can be looking at something and actually getting the data up for them so if it's an asset or um, a building you know overlaying that on top of it to help with that space so they're, they're the two probably most exciting ones but we're also um you know doing partnership with uh, a company called orbital insights in the us where we're looking at satellite data and uh, drone data and balloon data as well to help count things and understand the changes so are we seeing people migrate from london to paris for example because people are closing down their their canary wolf operations because they don't want to be in london because they think Paris is going to be better from a COVID point of view, you know, that kind of stuff. So all very early days, but that, that's kind of an area where we're really curious at how we can blend technology with, with data. Uh, when it comes to the data space, who is your favorite thought leader or author? Ah, oh, okay. So I, I would probably go back to the man that started it all, right? So there, there's been lots, I've been lucky to work with some great people from a data analytics space and, you know, Alberto Cairo got to spend time with. He's great. Andy Kirk in the in the U, um, UK as well. Um, Cole Naflick, she does a lot of work actually with us on storytelling with data. But um, Stephen Few, been on his workshops um, and, you know, very different mindset to, to others, but, you know, all, all good rounded. But I'd go back to the man who started it, which was Ben Schneiderman, right? So Ben Schneiderman invented the tree map. So um, he, when he did that, that, you know, when I was looking for that Excel plugin, um, uh, his name came up. And then when we looked at a software company that could actually do tree maps, it was a company uh, called the Hive organization. All they do is tree maps. Don't do bars, lines, pie charts, anything, just tree maps. Um, he was, uh, I think he was on the board of that organization as well and uh, got to reach out and speak to him and, and he wrote some really interesting books about the theory of data visualization and practices and um, how the visual cortex works and understanding how we we struggle with size and area and content so if it wasn't for ben um i would not be sitting here talking to you today and i'll probably still be an accountant um looking at my p and l's uh, and journals and ledgers at the end of the period 
And finally, what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? So the, the biggest piece of advice I would offer, um, offer people is to look at your network, look at who you work with, um, get involved in your data analytics community, right? So learn from your peers, right? Look at people that are, are existing leaders that, that you are impressed with, not that you necessarily are, um, uh, you know, people that, that see as, as being leaders in the field, people that you, you understand where they're doing something and try and pull that knowledge, reach out as well. I've found the data analytics community has been so receptive um, and willing to help um, and share, right? Whereas in other communities, you don't really get that. So reach out to people that you're, um, that you're impressed with or you want to ask questions, you know, get the basics right first, right? Be, a, be um, excellent at, at, the, at the basics and then work your way up to understand what it means to be a manager and then a director and a real leader in the data analytics space and then you know also understand how that's going to change your journey because i, I often we partner with uh, the data school which is the information labs uh, um uh, data education um team and we'll take people on placements with them and often say you know as your, as your journey and as you progress up through the company your actual skill level in the product that you love drops off right the amount of time i spend in tableau is is minimal you know my daughter spends more time on it now and it's it's a standing joke in in the community about how i'm an ambassador but do so little in, in the product but that's not the that's not the point of it right it's really understanding that actually as you move up the ranks who can you um learn from and emulate and you know as, as fee has even been talking to us lately you know look at look at uh, diverse population as well don't try and have echo boards and um echo chambers and, and sound boards of people that all look and think the same way that you do as well right look at people of different genders ethnicities right people with uh, disabilities as well to try and get a real rounded understanding of um of your experience that you can learn from and uh, and then take that forward with you great advice from paul chapman global director of performance management business intelligence and innovation at jol thanks for joining us been a pleasure paul thanks very much for your time today Thank you.